0: Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 37, that's page 910 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, page 910, Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 37 through 47 and remember as we read that we're reading God's word. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Uh, It's probably not a secret to many of you that we've got a lot of married uh, families here at our church. Uh, Just so you know, if you're single and you feel like, gosh, everyone here is married, that's actually not true. And there are quite a few um, single folks and people who have been divorced previously or currently single, whatever. Uh, One of the challenges we have is to kind of get you all to meet each other and know each other and not feel, you know, so alone in that process. But there are quite a few married folks. So I want to get a show of hands. How many of you men? So men. Men that are married. Raise your hand raise them high. Okay, way to go, guys. All right, you can put your hand down. So imagine this. Imagine I came to one of you guys that's married, and I said, man, I really like you. Like, it's cool hanging out with you, getting to know you. You're a cool guy. There's a lot about you that I just really appreciate. But man, I can't stand your wife. I mean, gosh, she is annoying. Like, she's just her voice, it squeaks. You know, when she laughs, it's like this ugly snort, and her face gets all contorted. And I mean, you let her go out of the house looking like that? I mean, I just can't stand that woman. How would, how would you feel if I said that? Some of you would go, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but my guess is that most of you, hopefully... Something in you, your, your blood would boil a little bit, and you'd go, whoa, 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 you, you don't talk about my wife like that. Like, yeah, she's not perfect, but she's my wife. You don't, you don't speak of her that way. Well, here's the reality, is that many people say they're interested and they like Jesus, but they hate his wife. Jesus' wife, his, his church, his bride is his church. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, in Ephesians 5, when Paul is exhorting husbands to love their wives, it's on the basis of the fact that Jesus loved his wife, the church. And he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm not focusing today as we read this verse on the role of husbands, though that's crucial. What I'm focusing on here is that Jesus loves his bride. And you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. So what we're talking about today as we continue this series on doctrine, looking at really these key truths uh, across the storyline of history, we get today to this idea of the church. The church, God sends. That's what we're talking about today, is the church. Um, the church is, is, is God's bride, and if you're gonna love Jesus, you gotta love his wife. And that's tricky, because some of you have had bad experiences with the church, you've had bad experiences with Christians, and, and it's hard to love the church If you've been around church for a while maybe you've been part of a church split or you've been part of a, a failure in leadership or you've been a part of something where just things went bad and it's easy to become jaded it's easy to become discouraged but if you're going to love the savior you have to love his bride so that's what we're talking about today is his church here's where we're going to go we're going to talk about what is the church just briefly discuss what is it uh, how do you know whether you're part of an actual church, which is a funny question to be asking as we gather here for church. Um, but we're going to ask, what is a church? Why does the church exist? And then how do we, as Redemption Gateway, live out our purpose as the church? So what is the church? Why does it exist? And how does it affect us as the church? So quickly, let's talk about what is The church The church really could be described in two different ways. One is the universal church, which is all believers for all time, everywhere. Anybody who is a true follower of Jesus Christ, anybody who uh, by grace has expressed their faith in Jesus Christ, they have seen that Jesus in his perfect life and death and resurrection can be trusted and is valuable, and they're treasuring him, and they're living for him, they're surrendered to him. Anyone who's a follower of Christ at any point in all of history is part of the universal church. But what we're specifically going to talk about today is the role of the local church. (laughs) Because we don't all get together as the whole church. uh, Every person that's ever been a part of God's family, we don't do that until heaven. That'll be a day, won't it? Scripture says every tongue and tribe and nation and people gathering together and praising the name of Jesus. That will be a great day. But until then, we gather in local communities. And so I want to give you quickly um, the marks of a church. How do you know if a group of people that are meeting together in God's name are actually a church? And I'll go through these, I hope, fairly quickly. There's five uh, marks of a church. These are historically the things that that pastors and scholars and theologians have looked to to identify what is a true church. All of them are based on Scripture. I'm not going to go into all the Scripture they're based on. But here are the five things. Uh, the local church number one is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So if it's a group of people, no matter how moral they are, no matter how uh, dedicated they are to good works, if it's not about Jesus, it's not a true church. And number two, they organize under qualified leadership. Scripture gives descriptions of of qualities of leadership given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5 and other places that talk about the role of of leaders. A, A true church, a true local church, has qualified leadership. Number three, the local church gathers regularly for preaching and worship. And preaching is particularly the idea of the proclamation, the thus says the Lord, the authoritative word of God being proclaimed And the church gathers together. Actually, the word church in the Greek language means gathering or assembly. It's a group of people gathered. Now They scatter as well, but that's uh, an idea of what the church means. Number four, uh, the church is disciplined for holiness. So within a true church... There's an element of discipline, and that sounds harsh, but all that is is saying we want to help each other grow. We want to help each other uh, fight sin and and pursue Jesus, and so we encourage each other, and when we see chinks in each other's armor, we lovingly point that out. Don't you want want people to help you see your blind spots? Well, you got to do that, and at times people uh, dig in their heels, and there's a role of discipline that a church comes into play, and the leadership plays, but that's part of a mark of a true church. Here's the fifth thing is that the local church observes the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. So a church celebrates baptism, the, the, the entrance ceremony, the initiation into the family of God. Um being dipped in water and raised up just like Jesus went to the grave and was raised. And then celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, this ongoing reminder of God's love for us on the cross. And so we celebrate that. And so that's what a local church is. So listen, if you gather with people at Starbucks and they're Christians and you do a Bible study, great, do it. I hope more and more people in our church will go, hey, you love the Lord, I love the Lord, let's go read the Bible together. That'd be wonderful. Just be clear, you're not a church, You're members of the church scattering into the world, but you're not a church. And the reason it's important to say is just because some, maybe some of you have been through an experience like this, you've had a bad experience with the church. You're jaded. You're cynical. You're tempted to go, you know what, I don't need all this. Let me just get with a few other people that love the Lord and we'll read our Bible and that'll be our church. You can do that, but according to the biblical idea of scripture, you're not a true church. The ideal of a church is found in the passage we read in Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your Bible again and look at that. Acts chapter 2. This is an incredible story of the birth of the church. Uh, Acts chapter 2 begins with uh, the 120 followers of Jesus gathered to pray. And they are praying and seeking God's power and seeking God's presence. And God descends in power in the Holy Spirit. And th- they are proclaiming, and they are speaking in tongues, and they are saying all these wonderful things about the works of God, and there's some confusion. What, what's happening? This draw, I mean, this clearly draws a crowd. People go, what in the world is this? And so Peter begins to explain, and he preaches the gospel. He tells about how Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead, and it convicts them. They're experiencing the, the power of the Holy Spirit convicting them in their sin, and it says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. I said, what do we do? And Peter says, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your selfishness, turn from your preoccupation with yourself. That's what the word repent means, it just means to go 180 degrees. And if you're here today, that's the message that the gospel calls you to do, is to repent. Turn from your sin. Jesus has has paid for your sin if you'll repent, if you'll turn from it. Then they say to be baptized, that's identifying themselves uh, with Jesus. And there's this incredible thing, and, and something, verse, 47, verse 41, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Think about that. They went from 120 to a mega church, like that. All these people knew in their faith, all these people hearing this message about Jesus' power and resurrection, bam, there they are. And so instantly, you've got a little bit of a problem, and, and the, the apostles couldn't, like you know, call in like a church consultant and go, man, we just had this unbelievable growth spurt and we opened this new building. We didn't know what would happen and they help us. No, they just got to figure it out. And so what do they do? They start doing what the church does. Verse 42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And just look at what happens. Awe comes upon every soul. There's a sense in which everybody sensed the greatness of God. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? If just it wasn't really rare or strange for blind people to restore their sight? Paralytics to begin walking? Amazing. Wouldn't that be? Don't you long to see something like that? I mean, isn't there a sense in which you you read this and and you go, I want some of that. There's power there. And and the love they have for each other. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, the way it works for us is if someone has a need, you sort of go, well, do we have anything left over that we could give to them? These people said, we're going to sell what we have to give to them. going to sacrifice deeply for them. That's love. And they have all this favor. It says, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. So even the outsiders had a sense of appreciation for what they were doing. And it says, day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. That is powerful. You read that and you go, oh, I long for that. Oh, I want that. I'd love to taste and see that. But few of us have. And if you have, it's been only in little glimpses so the question is what happened what happened how how is it that that this is the church we read about in scripture and yet it's so different from our experience what happened well i think one thing potentially small reason is bad press right i mean you hear all the bad stories right you hear about the affairs you hear about the pastors embezzling money you You hear about this just nut job church that protests all these uh, funerals of of veterans. And I mean, you just go like, you hear that. You don't hear about community transformation. You don't hear about people that are going in consistently day after day, week after week to serve the poor. You don't hear about the people whose lives are transformed from addiction. You don't hear that in the media. So so that's part of it. But, But if we're honest, we'd have to say that the reason, we can't just say, oh, it's just bad press. The reason is the church, over time, universally, and each church locally, tends to drift. There's a mission that they start with. And they drift from it into protecting the institution, having power, having control, having money, having influence, and... and And all of those things, over time, the church just begins to lose its focus. Not just the leadership, but the people of the church begin to think that the church is primarily about making themselves happy, and they shift from it. The church shifts its goal from the mission of God to proclaim the gospel to the world into all sort of other pet issues and pet agendas, many of which are important but aren't the main issue. That's why David Kinnaman I want to share this quote with you. David Kinneman's the president now of the Barna Group. He actually grew up in town here. If any of you know Word of Grace Church in town, uh, Gary Kinneman was the pastor. His son David's now the president of Barna Group. And they did a bunch of research on uh, young Americans, believers and unbelievers. How do they view the church? It says the results were quite different from Acts 2. These young people, this is like 18 to mid-30s, they view the church as anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, old-fashioned, too involved in politics, out of touch with reality, insensitive to others, and boring. Some of you are like, amen, 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 amen. But but he says, it's curious that if you ask these same people what they think of Jesus, many will say they respect him. They're quite interested in spirituality, but they see the church as very unlike Jesus. What's the problem? that's happened why is what we read in acts 2 so different than what we see today the church is very unlike jesus when the opponents of christianity in just a few chapters see james and john and the power with which they speak they say surely these men have been with jesus but the church has lost its focus its mission So what I want to talk about from here is to go, okay, then what is that purpose? What is that focus? What is that mission? Why does the church exist? We've talked about what it is, what it should be. Why does it exist? Here's the reason the church exists. Let's be clear about this. The church exists to continue God's rescue plan for humanity. That's why the church exists, to continue The rescue plan. We've seen this as we've studied doctrine. We started with the idea of who God is, that he is one God in three persons. And we looked at his character and and what he's like and the fact that he created people and he created in his image. We saw that that uh, that image was distorted. It was broken by man's plunge into sin. Adam and Eve, they believed the lie, and they believed that they could be happy apart from God, and they wanted to um, have the same kind of power that God had. They wanted to be little gods, and so that image of God that was meant to reflect God was broken like a broken mirror, reflecting in all kinds of other distorted ways, but that God had a promise. He wasn't done with his people. He made a promise in his covenants. That he would rescue them. And then he initiates that promise in particular with the coming of Jesus Christ. We looked at the incarnation, God with flesh on. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. Preaching good news and loving people and healing people. Filled with grace and truth. But then he voluntarily went to the cross. That he would lay his life down. Become a substitute for our sin. And then be raised again to new life. Jesus Christ is not in the grave. That is good news. And wasn't that such good news last week as John preached and he talked about the power and the reality of the resurrection? That is God promising his rescue plan, executing his rescue plan, but then something happens. Jesus is raised. Oh man, this rescue plan is going. It's really kicking. I mean, the Savior we thought was dead is alive. He was dead. He's now alive. And he spends 40 days with his disciples and he's training them and he's helping them see how all these parts of the Old Testament really just connect to him. But then he does something I don't think anyone expected and I'm pretty sure no one wanted. He says, guys, peace. I'm out. I'm out of here. Gosh, that kid. Somebody is <laughs> you being tortured out there? What is this? Sorry, he... he That's loud if I can hear it up here. Holy smokes. He says, guys, I'm gone. The the mission has got to continue, but it's continuing without me. Now, listen, I'll be with you to the end of the age, and I will send the power of my spirit, but this is on you. Guys, listen. Listen, little church of 11, 12 people, 70, 120 right in there. Hey, listen, you're plan A. We don't have plan B. And Jesus is out of there. And so he leaves the people of God, sinners, broken, all kinds of mixed motives, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different challenges, and he says, you're plan A for my redemptive plan. It is going to continue through you. That is the purpose of the church. The church is God's plan A, and they're in a plan B. That's why this thing really matters. This is really important. What we're talking about is not simply, how do you have a good experience on a Sunday? How do you help people feel like, man, that was positive and encouraging? But how do you, as the people of God, carry out the plan of God to redeem the world? That is big stuff. There's a lot on the line here that we're talking about. Why does the church exist to be plan A? You know, in the Bible, when God wants to emphasize something, he repeats it a number of times. And we, so we see this plan of God, this mission of God, said four different times in four different ways in four different books of the Bible. And if you put them all together, you really get a glimpse of, of what this mission is. The first thing that we see is that we are sent. We are sent as the people of God. In John 20, Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him into culture to live among people, to serve people, to bless people, to speak good news into their life and to care for them, not just about their soul, but about their whole person. And Jesus says in that same way, the Father is sending you. I'm sending you. I've been sent, now you're going. So the church is sent. Even though the word church means assembly, we don't assemble just to assemble. We assemble to be sent. We are sent to all kinds of people. Matthew 28 tells us this. We're sent to all kinds of people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So you're sent to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus of all nations. The word nations means people groups or ethnicities every kind of person, everywhere. This isn't just for Jews. This isn't just for uh, nice people. It's not just for people that kind of have their life together. It's not just for Republicans. It's for everyone, all nations. What a blessing it is, isn't it, to live in this country with such diversity, so many different kinds of people, I mean, it's just a, what, what a wonderful gift God's given us to surround us with so many different kinds of people, and he sent us to them. That's good news. We are sent to all kinds of peoples with the gospel message. There's a message that we're to proclaim. We're, we're not just to love them, though we are to love people, but there's a message. Something has to be said. There's news to be proclaimed. What is that? Well, the word gospel means, gospel, it, means it means news, good news. What is the good news? So Jesus says he's teaching his disciples after he's raised from the dead he's proclaiming them again. Here's the mission. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You see it? What's the message? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Did you notice what Peter's message was in Acts 2? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ has gone to the cross for you. In light of that, repent. Turn from your selfishness. Turn from your pride. Turn towards him, and he will forgive you. You can have relationship with him. That is the gospel message. We're sent to all peoples with that message. And then last, and this is so big, empowered by his spirit. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now you can imagine, once Jesus has revealed, hey guys, you're plan A. There's no plan B. I'm getting out of here. Go. You're sent to all kinds of people with this message. You can just kind of imagine them going, yeah, let's get going. Let's get started. And Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Hey, hey, hey. Don't go yet. Because if you go now, you're going to get creamed. There's something you, you need, and you need it desperately. You need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Helper. You need His power, It said. You'll receive that when He comes. The, the only, listen, He's talking to a small little group of people. He's talking to like these two rows. He's going, we're going to go into all the world, 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 world. And it's like, you're not going to do that without His power. We are sent to all kinds of people with the gospel message, empowered by His Spirit. That's the mission. That's what Jesus, this all just comes right out of Jesus giving this mission directly to the church. Here's why you exist. Now, listen, all of that, in the midst of all that, we're doing this because we want to glorify God, we want to love God. He's our priority, He's our treasure. But listen, you will glorify God better in heaven. You will worship God better in heaven. You will love people better in heaven. So none of those can be the ultimate mission. There's a reason God has left us here rather than just taken us to heaven is because the only thing other than sin that you can't do in heaven better is tell people about Jesus. That's it. That's why we're here. So the question then is, how's that going? How's that going? As we look at the last two thousand years of the church, how, how's it going? How's the church doing at this mission? Well, on one hand, I think you'd have to say, it's going incredibly well. I mean, look at this. Well, look at we're here. I mean, there's there's dozens of us here in this room. We're, we're I mean, you talk of ends of the earth. We're we're I mean, we're in the gateway area. I mean, that is the ends of the earth. Right? I mean, so, so the fact that there are people in Arizona that love the Lord, are fully committed, I mean, that's amazing. So, on one hand, we just have to look at it and go, God is faithful to his promise. He's, he's, this is incredible. If you look right now around the world, there's just an explosion in Christianity, particularly in South America and in Asia and in Africa. There, there are all kinds of people coming in droves to faith in Jesus Christ leaving behind mysticism, leaving behind uh, witchcraft, leaving behind secular humanism, leaving behind communism. This is happening all over. So on one hand, you'd have to say, it's amazing. There's a billion Christians in the world. That's incredible. But on the other hand, as we think about America and our situation, I think we'd have to say, not going so hot. Like it could be it could be better. It could be a lot better. The decline of Christianity in America is uh, well documented. It's well researched. It's, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's a significant decline of Christianity in America. The population of America continues to rise and the number of Christians continues to decline. Between 1990 and 2000, the population rose 11%. Christian, the number of Christians declined 9.5%. So this is a, a gap that's widening more and more people who are less and less influenced by the gospel. That's a problem. And what you see is that most of American culture really just follows European culture. And in European culture, that gulf is so wide that the number of Europe is as unreached as anywhere in the world. Hardly any Christians there. The number of churches per capita is shrinking. So in 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans now there's 11 so you drive around here and you go man there's a-frame signs everywhere there's churches everywhere we don't need any more churches there's plenty of churches no no no. there's not nearly enough churches do you know how many people are here i mean this city with the millions and millions of people that live in this great city how many churches do we need to reach all those different kinds of people a lot more that's why church planting is such a focus for us. It's not because you go, man, church planting's really, really cool or really hip or that's the latest thing. It's because new churches reach people. That's why we do that. That's why we fund that. That's why we're training many of you up to be part of that because we need that because the number of Christians is declining in America. Not only is the number of Christians declining, but I think you could argue that the quality of Christians is declining. So in order to reach the city, we we not only need more Christians, we need better Christians, right? Christians that make more of a difference, more of an impact, are more honoring to God, more obedient in their life, more bold in their faith. That's what we need, and yet that continues to shrink as well. Here's a graph that just articulates this a bit. This is is in millions of people. Um, On the left, that big column is the U.S. population, 307 million people. Research varies in terms of trying to figure out how many of those are Christians. Um, but what I've seen and heard is 69 million Christians. And that's, that's not based on, like, Time Magazine, like, three out of every four people celebrate Christmas. Like, it's not that. These Christians would be people who would say, they would say they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, and they go to church a couple times a week. Or, not a week, a couple times a month. Christians. These are These are in-the-game people. A lot of you would would be in that category. And what this research has suggested is that as you ask these 69 million people, what's your purpose for living? Why are you on this earth? What does God have you to do? Four percent give as their reason for being on this earth to make disciples. Disciples to live out God's mission. I mean, we just saw it. We saw it in four different places. We're sent to all kinds of people with a gospel message empowered by the Spirit. 4% of those who have a personal relationship with Jesus are fairly active in church, a couple times a month, 4%, 2.76 million, in our whole country would say, I make, I'm making disciples. Now listen, I gotta tell you, we've been blessed as a church here. Because there are many as I look around, I see a number of your faces who I just know, you're, you're in that 2.76 million. You're, you're, your whole life's oriented around God and his priorities for you and any opportunity, you can make a difference for him. And, and so what we want to do is go, how do, how do we get the rest of us in that? Because this gap is widening. And this is a big time Crisis. It's not just going to get better on its own, right? Was it Einstein that said that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect different results? So this is, a, this, is a big, this is a big deal. If we care about God's love for the world and God's redemptive plan in our nation. I mean, if we care about that at all, then this is a big deal. And something serious is going to happen to have to change it. Something big. We just can't, we can't keep on the status quo and see the impact we want to see. Um, and so what it's reminded me of, actually, is I've, as I've been thinking these last few weeks and watching uh, what's going on in our, in our nation, it reminds me a bit of this whole debt crisis. So um, I, one of the things I do almost every Sunday afternoon when it's not football season is, uh, is I watch Meet the Press. I record it in the morning, and I, I watch in the afternoon, and it drives Molly crazy She's like, they're still, they're still mad at each other. I, I don't know what you have to watch this for every week to see that they're all mad at each other. Um, but I just, there's something about it I find interesting. I think there's the competition of all of it that I think is kind of fascinating. But as, as I've been following this debt crisis, I think, it, I think to some degree it, it proves as an interesting analogy for the same kind of inflexibility that the church has experienced. So let me just walk you through what's going on here. Uh this is from uh, 2010. The, the black line really is the one to look at uh, in terms of the the national debt. That's uh, almost 14 trillion there. They say now it's 14.3 trillion. I think the red line I don't know what the red line is exactly. I I couldn't parse it all out. But but the debt is currently 14.3 uh trillion. Uh, the estimate is that that by 20, uh, or in the next 10 years, it will become 21 trillion. So, so we go from 14.3 to 21. Now, here's what's interesting. In this whole debt deal, what do they say? Over the next 10 years, we're going to cut spending $2.1 trillion, which would make any like, normal person go, okay, it's going to go from 14.3 to 12.2. No, 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 no. It's for, it, they're going to cut 2.1 out of the 10 trillion that they were already planning on spending over the next 10 years. So it's really like a seven point nine trillion dollar increase, and in case you just are like me and going, man, billions, trillions is just a lot of money. Do you know the difference? Do you, do you know how much a trillion is? This is insane. A billion seconds, billion with a B, a billion seconds is thirty-one years. A trillion seconds is thirty-one thousand six hundred eighty-eight years the difference? I mean, this isn't, this is like a big deal. If you spent a million dollars every day since Jesus' birth to now, you would not yet have spent a trillion (laughs) dollars. And we're at 143 so here's, here's another illustration. This is fascinating. This is, uh, so this is $10,000, a picture of $10,000, $100 bills stacked. So keep this in your mind. This is the scale we're going to use for the rest of these pictures. Um, the next picture is a billion dollars, if you have that stack. So you kind of can see in the bottom, like a little stack and a little bigger, that's a million. And then all these pallets is a billion dollars. That's a billion dollars represented there. Um, and then here's a trillion. That's stacked as high, you know. Football. I mean, this is this is that's a lot. Trillions, a lot of money. Here's fifteen trillion. You know what? We're not to fifteen yet. We're in good shape. (laughs) I mean, this is this is nuts. And so here's, here's the deal. My point in this is not to get political and to go, here, here's what the answers are. Um, some people would say you need to increase revenue. Some people would say you need to cut. Some people, you got to do both. That's not the point. The point is here, everybody would look at this and go, this is a big problem. And it's not getting better. And the debt deal that they just passed, that everyone's trying to muster up excitement about, ain't working. Right, S&P just downgraded the credit on Friday. We're not, not AAA anymore, according to that. And all, all of the economic stuff is somehow linked to this, right, and, and nobody, either side of the aisle, is happy about it. Everyone would say, why can't these people just fix the problem? Why can't these decision makers, why can't these lawmakers, why can't these politicians do something about it? We see this huge problem, and it's not headed in a good direction Why don't they do something? And again here, I think there's a a, a helpful analogy for the same kind of challenge we have in the American church. So here's some reasons why I think they won't correct the problem. This is just my opinion. Number one, they don't realize the gravity of this situation. I don't know how that's possible, but when you hear them talk, you begin to think maybe it's possible that they don't understand the gravity of the situation. I watch the shows. I see them interviewed. I go, they really... We aren't sending our best and brightest to Washington at this point. <laughs> but they go, yeah, it's just not that big a deal. We'll, you know, we're America. We'll be fine, right? Uh, I mean, just don't get it. So that might be one reason. Number two would be it's hard to break long-standing habits. It's just, it's just hard to do. It's hard to make big changes when you're used to operating a certain way. Number three, it's too personally costly. It would cost these people... To really make the kinds of changes. It, on any side of the aisle. It would cost them politically. People would say, oh, you're not, you're not raising enough taxes. Other people would say, you're cutting too much defense. You're cutting entitlements. You're cu-. w- whatever it has to happen, it's going to cost people. And it's just too personally costly. And therefore, they do number four, they assume that someone else will do it. Ah, here's an idea. We'll cut barely any, anything barely anything, do any, hardly anything to fix this problem. I know what we'll do. We'll form a super committee. <laughs> They'll do it. We'll, we'll task these few people to take care of this problem. And then I think as big as anything is, number five, just a mixed-up identity. They forgot their purpose. So people think their purpose is to get reelected. It's to lead the country. Now listen, as we think about that that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in a similar predicament where statistically things are not improving, we can't just do the same thing over and over. I think we have to ask ourselves, why won't we as the people of God change? Why won't we reorient our lives in such a way that our whole goal for living is to be sent to all kinds of people with a gospel message empowered by the Spirit? Why won't we do that? same thing. Maybe we don't realize the gravity of it. We don't realize uh, what what a negative impact the lack of Christians has in our culture. Maybe we just don't get that. Maybe, this is probably more likely, maybe some of you, you've been been so involved around the church for so long that you forget what it was like to live as a person without a relationship with God. You forget the the challenge of that. Or or maybe you've forgotten the seriousness of eternity and what an eternity without Christ would be. So maybe you've just forgotten that. You've got to remember that. We've got to wake up to that. It's hard to break long-standing habits. We're used to functioning a certain way, living a certain way. And and with that, it's just, to to reorient my life around God's mission would just be too costly. Don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how my kids are doing all these activities? I I can't do this. Listen, don't stop doing the activities. Start doing them with gospel intentionality. Our kids are about to start soccer. Right? I mean they're five. Abby is not gonna play on a World Cup soccer team, okay? She could use a little exercise. We're gonna get her running around. But, but our goal there as we, as we go into that is not just about her and her development and how can we give her all kinds of self-esteem or whatever. We're going into that going, how can we with this other Christian family that we're joining this team with, how can we get to know these people and love these people and celebrate the birthdays and be an influence for Christ there? So, so this doesn't mean your, your whole life... Has to come undone. It just means you have to reorient it. But to reorient it that way might be costly. It might cost you some comfort. It might cost you some reputation. It might be costly. Maybe you assume, oh, someone else would do it. There's a super committee for this. You know what we call them? Pastors, missionaries. That's your guy's job. I put my 20 in the giving box every week. I do do this for you. It's your job, Pastor. Listen. It is my job. But it isn't only my job. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we are all sent on this mission. My job is to equip us to go on the mission, but we're all on it. We can't just go, oh, I pay the missionaries to do that. Eh? You're a follower of Jesus. And then the last thing, mixed up identity. We forget our purpose. We think oh, my purpose is to live the American dream. My purpose is to be comfortable. My purpose is to be happy. My purpose is to be secure. My purpose is to have a lot of stuff. and We forget our real purpose as ambassadors of Christ. And so what I want to do for for this last part, we've talked, okay, what's the church? What's the purpose of the church? I want to say, okay, for us as redemption gateway how do we begin to as far as it depends on us break the trends right we don't have any control over the 307 million people but we're in a community with at least a a few thousand a couple dozen thousand hundred thousand i don't know what it is and if you were to look at all the different relationships represented by the people in our church there's a huge opportunity for impact and so what i'm talking about is not how do we reverse the trend how do we change america what I would say is how can we be faithful to the mission that God has given us? And what I'm going to argue for on the basis of Scripture is that the only way to do this is to re-embrace your identity. It's not fundamentally about saying, I'm going to go do, 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 do all these things. It's mostly about saying, Here's who I am in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And if you will re-embrace who you actually are in Christ and live out of that, you will find that, that living for God's purposes is fulfilling and joyful. You will see God show up in his power in and through you, and it will be the greatest blessing of your life. It will be a ride you will never want to get off. If you ask somebody who is fully committed to Jesus, who is seeing God work in and through them, how is that going? They'll say, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So we need to embrace this identity. It's about our identity. It makes me think of uh, my wife. Uh, her main name is Bush, and she grew up in a godly family, a uh, godly dad. Um, raise them well and one of the things that he would do uh, when he dropped them off for school or for other things is he'd give them a hug and kiss and he'd say hey hey remember you're a bush the kids would roll their eyes right but what he was saying is listen there's there's an identity you have as a part of our family and live that out but remember who you are so what i want to do here from scripture is just say who are we who are we as the people of god who are, what, what, not what are we to go do, but who are we because of what Christ has done? And so I'm going to give you four identities that we can embrace. And what I want you to do is to pick one of these as you hear them and go, that's the one I needed to hear today. That's the one that I needed to embrace. I can't tackle all of them, but if I will just for this next week look at this identity and focus on who I am it, as that person, it will change my life. So that's what I want you to do. Um, two of them are gospel-centered. And two are more inherently outward focused. Here's the first one. We are family. As redemption, church, gateway, we are family. Uh, John 1 said, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, that's Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we treasure Jesus, we're, we're, we're children of God. And so if we're children of God, that makes us family. Brothers and sisters, i, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not personally a person that has ever felt real comfortable saying brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Uh, just that, that doesn't fit me well, but I like being around people that feel comfortable saying that because it reminds me, yeah, we are brothers. Yeah, we are sisters. Yeah, we are family. Some of you are going, man, I already got a family, and it's totally messed up. I don't need another one. Listen, families are sometimes dysfunctional. Families are a lot of the times dysfunctional, but a family stays committed, don't they? And a family is a family all the time, not just a couple times a week. Like, you don't sit with your family and go, "Um, next Tuesday, we're going to be family, and then again on Sunday morning, we're going to be family again. You're family all the time. And so this identity as family is to see ourselves as supporting each other on our mission. That we need each other. We need that kind of encouragement. We need that kind of support. And I just got to be honest with you. There are many of you I know who feel like, you know, I like some of the people at church. And other people, they're just, I just don't like them. Or I just, I don't like them. I just, we don't click. You know, I feel the same way. And, And a lot of you would probably feel that way about me. If you knew me better, you'd really feel that way. All right, listen, Here's what, some of you will put, just, you just put pastors on a pedestal. If you knew me well enough, I would disappoint you. And if you get to know someone well enough, they'll disappoint you. They'll let you down. They will not come through. They will forget something important. They will be uncaring and insensitive. They will worry about their time more than you. And I do all those things. You do all those things. We hurt each other. But if we're family, we stick it out. We stick it out. We, we don't go, well, I just, see, see this, this is why membership is so important. It's because in membership you're saying, I'm going to covenant with these people that we're family, rather than just at the slightest bit of discomfort or something I didn't like or a decision that I wouldn't have done, I'm out of here. And there's a lot of churches and I'll go find a new one and I'll remain anonymous and I'll just show up for the event and nothing in my life will really change. You won't change, you won't grow, you won't develop until you embrace this identity as family. Here's the second identity, as learners. We have to see ourselves as learners. That's another word for disciple. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, And he said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That means if we're disciples, we are constantly learning to observe all that God has commanded us. That's why we read his word. That's why we seek to hear from him And his word. is so that we can do what he says. We can learn from him. And no one can do this for you. You've got to get your face in the book. Learn from God. We also need to learn from one another. We need examples, we need models, we need relationships, people that will show us how to live as a follower of Jesus. I, I'm so blessed today. Um, and I, the, the scripture tells us we should honor those who deserve honor. And so I want to honor some people that are here uh, as guests this morning. Um, this is Jim and Renee Duncan. Just put your hand up real fast. Sorry to embarrass you. This is their, uh, their daughters, Danielle and Delena. And they're here from Alaska. Uh, today, and when I was in college, I lived with them for two summers, just by a, a freak sort of a chance of God, uh, providence of God. Um, I was a baseball player and got put with their family for, for two summers, and it was it was incredible. Jim and, and Renee pastor of a church in Alaska, and um, I, I was considering what would it be like to be in ministry, and, and just as a young follower of Christ, go, what, what does it look like to to really follow Jesus. And, I, and I, I grew up in a family where we went to church, but I didn't grow up in a family that, where I had a lot of great modeling of here's exactly how it looks. So to spend two summers living in a home with these godly people, to hear them pray, to, to see them care for their two daughters, and now I've got two daughters, to see that you could be a pastor and not be a total weirdo, I needed that. And listen, that's what the church is to be, is models. And, and so, so find someone that even if they're not like they're, they're not like you know little Jesus exactly, but but you go, I could learn from them, I could grow from them, and velcro yourself to the, those people and learn from them. Embrace that. If you do that, then that will reorient your whole life into God's purposes and his plans. Here's two more identities that we have to embrace as servants. One is servants. For to be outward focused, we have to embrace our identity as a servant. Jesus was a servant, it says in Philippians 2. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He became a servant. And listen, this is not just saying we have to serve, it's saying we have to take the identity of a servant. There's a difference, right? And here's how you know if you are a servant. You know you're a servant if people treat you like a servant and it doesn't bother you. Listen, until, until you, people treat you like you're just not important and that doesn't bother you, it shows you all you care about is the acclaim and the recognition and you're not a servant. You're just serving. I mean, when a, when a server brings your meal at a restaurant, you don't go, you carried that food all the way from the kitchen. Amazing. Amazing. Then you go, oh, yeah, thanks. Um, uh, can I get some honey mustard? Maybe a lemon? Right? You, you treat them like a servant. And they don't go, man, those people were not nice to me. And, and so listen, if you're going to take on this attitude, that means you, you don't care about being recognized. You don't care about getting a lot of pats on the backs and of boys, a girl. You just, you take on this new identity and you're willing to serve people and serve people that are different from you. And you do it joyfully just because that's who God has made you to be in the image of Jesus who was a servant. Then the last identity to embrace is this, the identity of a missionary, of a missionary or an ambassador of Christ would be another way to say it. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, that's what we're talking about here. You're a new creation. You were created in Jesus Christ at the moment you put your trust in him to be family, to be a learner, to be a servant, and to be a missionary. That is who you are. That is your new creation identity. But what so many of us do is go, I'm gonna live in my old identity that is mostly about me and my comfort and my security and my pride. So embrace who you already are. And in light of this, he says at the very end of this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We're ambassadors, we're to carry his name. Think about what an ambassador does. They go to a foreign land carrying the name. That's what we do, we carry the name of Jesus to all nations. We carry his name, we represent him And invite people, implore people, beg people, it says, to be reconciled to God. So which of those four identities do you need to really embrace today? Family, learner, servant, missionary. As we go into communion in just a moment, I want to have you pray about that. And ask for God's spirit to give you the power and the help to live that way. Here's some good news, is God is on the move here. And God is working in our church to fulfill his mission. Just in the last month uh, that we know of, there may be others that we don't know of, but in the the last month, we know of at least 10 people for the first time putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And and here's what I know, in every one of those cases, it's because there was a, a group of people, faithful people in the church, that we're part of that. It's a team thing. and God's, God's doing it all by the power of his spirit. So God is at work here. So what I, what I want to invite us to is, and I, I want to just imagine with you for a moment, can you imagine for those 10 people, they're just starting out in their new faith. They're just beginning to, to figure out how to read their Bible and, and what it means to be a Christian. Can you imagine if the environment that they grew up in as a baby Christian was an environment of family and learners and servants and missionaries. Can you imagine how that would shape them? Can you imagine the models that they would see? And can you imagine those 10 people, the impact that they could make for eternity? Can you imagine that? We have the opportunity as God's people if we will embrace that identity. God, Will do something with it. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you for the mission that you've given us. And we pray, God, for forgiveness for the ways that we have neglected that mission. The side pet projects that aren't as important that have consumed our lives. The idolatry and the things that we have treasured more than your son. The selfishness and the independence that we have as we uh, don't rely on each other and feel self-sufficient. God, we, we pray you'd forgive us from that and we pray that you would allow us to embrace who we are as you are making us into the image of your son by your spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, amen. We are gonna take some time to respond now to hopefully what the Lord is doing in your heart. Um, I don't know about you, but when I heard that, message for the first time um, at 8 30 it definitely was convicted on a number of areas um, i think it's really easy at least for me to get to get comfortable and to think that this is about me and this church is about me and not about the mission of god and those identities that luke talked about so i want to challenge you and encourage you uh, as we move into this time of communion and response spend time with the lord um, don't feel like you have to do everything really quickly uh, but spend some time if you need to repent of a heart uh, attitude or, or a, uh, a priority you know priorities that need to be reorganized in your life do that and ask for God's help and his spirit will will certainly uh, reveal that to you um, but we are going to respond. We're going to take communion, and we do that every week together as we gather. And communion is a great way to come come to the cross, come and look and, and look at what Jesus did, and be reminded, "Wow, this is a great time for me to repent of my sin because this is how how much God cares and how seriously He takes it." So, um, spend some time with the Lord, and then uh, you can take communion. the The, the cracker is, represents Jesus' body, and the, the small cup of juice represents His blood that was shed so that you could uh, have forgiveness and find grace now under this new covenant. Um, We're also gonna do uh, some other things. We've got folks in the back over your right shoulder who would love to pray with you. They they come faithfully each week ready and excited to serve you. So if there's anything that they can pray for you about, uh, please go visit them. They would love to do that. We also have giving boxes in the back if you're a regular part of our body. uh, We invite you to worship the Lord through that. Uh, as a means of, of worship, and then also we're going to sing. We'll we'll do that here in just a few moments, and um, just want to join you, uh, invite you to join us as we sing to the Lord. But take some time now, as the Lord leads. You're free to respond in any of those ways that that you'd like, and we'll uh, we'll carry on. Go ahead.